each and every one of you that have came out to be a part of our service this evening. It's good to have Brother Eddie Aliff and his wife uh, Carol, is that right? His wife Carol with us this evening. Appreciate them coming. And I do want to take just a moment and uh, say a couple things about uh, Brother Aliff. Of course, when he comes, he'll tell you much more about who he is and what he does. Uh, but back whenever COVID hit and we were having to make a lot of changes and we were having to make decisions and we were constantly having to figure out what was legal, what was not, uh, I rang Brother Eddie Aliff's phone quite often and uh, I would say what what is your advice here can you send me anything on this and I'm telling you what he was a ready resource and just helped me and answered a lot of questions well later on I had someone uh, who said to me they said you never talk to preachers you just talk to that lawyer in Richmond <laughs> Well, I have to tell you, Brother Eddie Aliff is who I was talking to, and he is not a lawyer in Richmond. Uh, he is a Baptist preacher uh, who just uh, it works with uh, Richmond and stays on top of laws that affect us as Christians and lets us know what legislation is being passed and how we can respond to it. And so I am very glad to have you with us, Brother. Whenever I called Brother Aliff to schedule this, I, I told him that I wanted him to come to speak to the effect of what's going on in our schools. I said, but I really just want the people to meet you because, boy, you've just been a tremendous his help to us, and I appreciate all that you've done, brother, and thank you for it. And we're going to let him come here in just a minute. We're going to give the majority of the service to him. He's got a, a presentation and some things he's going to show to us and then preach to us this evening, so we want to give him the majority of the service. But before he comes, let's all stand to our feet, take your hymn books, and turn to hymn number 601. Uh, we do not have the words on the screen this evening. Uh, we have his presentation there, but take and do it the old-fashioned way and open your hymn book to hymn 601, and we'll sing... How firm a foundation.
you may be seated. So we'll go ahead and have Brother Eddie come, and he will just take the service and go from here. And I do want to let you know that when he is finished, uh, we will be receiving an offering to be a blessing to Brother Eddie. And so be thinking about that and asking the Lord what he'd have you to give. Brother Eddie, thank you, brother. Thank you for being I'll, here. I'll burn your Bible, I mean your hymnal here for a minute. Okay, yes, sir. So, um, am I on this one? All right. Can you hear me? I can't tell. I wear hearing aids half the time. I'm not sure if I'm hearing everything. And that's why if I look over at my wife and she gives me this look, then I know I made a mistake. So <laughs> just to make sure. Now, I also know that this is online. So uh, to those that are online, thank you for joining us. And hopefully I'll be able to answer questions both for those here and maybe those that are online. But I want to start off with something that, you know, you can always find a blessing in a hymn. And folks, let me just say something. I know that the times are challenging right now. And times seem like they're changing. They are. But can I remind you what this song said just a moment ago in the third verse? When fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. We don't, we don't depend on the world. Okay. You know, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we depend on him. And can I just tell you that the challenges we face is God's way of consuming the dross that maybe is in our lives. Maybe we've gotten lazy. Maybe we've gotten lackadaisical. Maybe we've forgotten that we should be, be depending on God and not worrying so much about other things. But here's the thing. If I say that, you might think that why are you doing what you're doing? Good question. I do what I do because I believe God has called me to it. And I am so thankful for how God has worked in my life. For, for years, I was in Christian education. That was what God called me to early on in my ministry. And so over 33 years, I think, is, is what we, I have taught in Christian schools. 26 years at my last place where I taught before I came in into this ministry. But I can see that the need for what I do is still there. And so let me just say thank you again for allowing me to be here. And I want you to take note of something. Notice the screen. It says VAIB since 1977. How many of you have heard of VAIB before tonight? Yeah. See, this is kind of what I see. Um, Independent Baptist churches are unique. They're independent. They're independent-minded, and they don't always communicate with one another for whatever reason. And the fact is, sometimes people don't even know. We've been around since 1977, <laughs> and we've been working on things on behalf of churches, very focused in the beginning in certain very, very specific areas because there were some things that came about it became a challenge, and so we, we, that was why we came about. But insofar as uh, this ministry right now, I'm the executive director, and my wife helps me. She works with me part-time, but she's a registered nurse as well, and nursing is probably more of her passion than keeping the records and doing secretarial stuff, but that's okay. I appreciate her helping me. Uh, we have, you know, I, I hear people talk about, I couldn't work with my wife. I mean, if I was with my wife all the time, I'd just go crazy or, you know, my wife would kill me. That would probably be the thing. My wife and I, we have worked 
in our home office since 2010. And we're still both alive. <laughs> and she still loves me and I still love her. And, but you know, she could probably get by with saying some things to me that maybe a regular secretary wouldn't. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And if, if, she, if I get hurt, she can fix me up because she's an Orient. So it, that's even a good thing. But when this ministry came into being, the mission statement outlined what our purpose was. To rally the independent Baptists in the Commonwealth on issues that are important to the ministry, to churches, and to religious liberties. And so this ministry came about, as I said, because they wanted to take care of some things. And let me just point out something right now. That over to my right, over there, is a table. And it will have some things. And we didn't pass any of these things out, but there is a paper. looks like this. And it gives a brief history of why VAIB came into existence. And there were basically two reasons. Um, churches that wanted to have, that had daycares, did not want to take a license from the state because in their mind, in the mind of the pastors in the state of Virginia, it would be sub making the ministry subjecting, be being subjected to oversight by the government. Now, let me remind you, you understand government is instituted by God. You do know that, right? Okay. Now, I'm not saying this government is necessarily what God wants, but in exactly that format. But government is instituted by God, just like marriage is, okay, just like the church. But the fact is that for whatever reason, the pastors in the state of Virginia said, you know, we don't mind doing certain things that need to be done for safety and so forth, but we don't want a license. And that became a sticking point. Now, you know the funny thing, brother? Do you realize we have what's called religious exempt daycares? That's where I'm getting at. And we got a bill passed. We helped get a bill passed to create religious exempt daycares. I'm kind of curious about the other independent Baptists in the rest of the states. There's only seven states that have religious exempt daycares. So I'm kind of curious about the other states that don't have them. And I wonder why they didn't have that sticking point. I don't know. To me, it is important. And so what we have is we have daycares who do need to follow the guidelines set up by the state for the reasons of protecting the children. You understand, government has a compelling interest to protect citizenry. And in this compelling interest is protecting those who are most vulnerable, the children. And that's why. So we have guidelines. We have <clears throat> regulations that we ought to follow. But we don't have to have a license so long as we continue to stay current on various things. And there's various things that have come to pass over the years. But that was one area. The other area, oddly enough, was sales and use tax. And uh, churches had to pay sales and use tax for everything, just like everybody else. But the question came up, wait a minute. God, oh, I mean, uh, government has always seen fit to give certain breaks to those entities, those nonprofit entities that are trying to help society in one way or another. And so we began to work years back and over about a 15 year period, uh, yeah, about a 15 year period, they w worked on issues to get various things tax exempt. Do y'all have a church bus or anything like that? Do you pay tax on it? Do you know? <laughs> you don't know if you pay tax. Well, here's the thing. You, you can get the tax exemption for that with regards to, but you got to do certain things. You got to go through various hoops with regards to DMV to get that done. And the same thing is true though. But in the beginning, uh, we were trying to get things done and, and they said, okay, 
When they finally came out with the regulations for tax exempt for churches, tax exempt, they said anything that's used within the confines of the auditorium for worship purposes is tax exempt. Okay. We said, well, what about Sunday school class? Nope. Not in the auditorium. So if you and here's the story that my predecessor would always say. See these light bulbs up here? I don't know if you have these kind of light bulbs anywhere else, but typically if you had other kinds of light bulbs that maybe are used elsewhere. Only the light bulbs used in here are tax exempt. The light bulbs used anywhere else in this building are not tax exempt. By the way, they wouldn't tax exempt our baptistry. They said it wasn't technically within the auditorium. You had to have one of those baptismal fonts. That's tax exempt. And we thought, what in the world? And here's what the tax department said. That's our ruling. If you don't like it, you'll need to pass another bill to explain it to us. And we did. And we did. And we did. Now, we can't put in bills, by the way, if you don't understand how legislature works, a legislator, that means an elected official who's in the House of Delegates or the State Senate has to introduce the bill. You can ask them to introduce a bill, and they may or may not. Usually they are pretty accommodating on that. And so that's what we would have to do. We'd have to get somebody. We'd have to explain the situation, what we were trying to accomplish, why we were trying to accomplish it. So here's the thing. We're working on these issues, but guess what? It goes way beyond independent Baptist churches that get benefit for this. Presbyterians, United Methodists, everybody gets a benefit on these tax exempt. Folks, we don't care. We wanted to do what was right. And what we thought was right for the benefit of churches, daycares, Christian schools, and things like that. So that's what we were doing. So on this next slide, I mean, as I was saying, you can find out, and that's talked about here in this little paper. You can pick up our prayer card. Pray for us. I really appreciate that. You can pick up the brochure. Explains a little bit more about what I'm going to talk about in the three areas of what, how we work in order to be effective. And then there's one other item that is not something that came specifically from us, but a friend of mine, a black lady who is, it was in a, in a home, a church I was in at one time. She understood that she was voting in a particular way for years because that's what she was told the way she should vote. And then as she got to hear the word of God after getting saved and hearing the word of God, she said, wait a minute, I'm voting for those who don't believe like that. Why am I voting for those people that don't believe like that? And so she took it upon herself to do this excellent, excellent brochure on honoring God with my vote and explaining what I'm sure you've heard from your pastor is you need to vote biblical principles, but you're not going to find anybody who's 100% in agreement with you. Okay. You won't find necessarily everybody in this auditorium is not 100% in agreement with each other. Okay. On everything. And the fact is that we need to be voting for those who we believe are as close as possible. Folks, I'm looking at uh, the various things going on and the and those who are running for office, both uh, Democrat, Republican, maybe independent. And there's a bunch of people out there and a whole bunch of them keep saying, I'm conservative. I believe in the same things you believe in. I'm glad they're all saying that. But then somebody else will throw mud at them and say, no, you don't. And oh, I know politics gets ugly. But can I tell you something? Politics in the United States got ugly with the next president of the United States, yeah. okay? They were really thankful to have George Washington, but even after George Washington served two terms, he did not leave 
being well-liked by everybody. And the next presidential election became pretty ugly. Folks, it's human nature. We've got to remember, human nature is just what it is. And so when I try to do for you is to carry out this purpose of strengthening, educating, and involving you in a process that maybe you don't want to get involved in. But it affects, it affects your life. It touches every bit of your life. Because we're seeing results of, thing, of, of elections that impact our lives. And you can't say, look, I'll just move out in the boonies and, and be, look, I don't care where you are. You're still going to have to pay taxes on your property in Virginia. Now, if you want to move to Florida, the old property taxes down there. Maybe I shouldn't have said that because maybe some people might move. But the fact is every state works a little bit differently in how they want to accomplish those things. But insofar as what I want to do to help you and to make this thing operate, I mean, oh, wait a minute. Yep, the first one is strengthened. I got it there and there, there it is. I work to strengthen our position on issues of concern to us. What we did in the past over about a 20-year period, we got a lot of things in place. If I don't continue to watch those areas where we got gains or we got benefits, you know what's going to happen? Some legislator is going to come along and convince the rest of everybody else in the legislature that, they, that we shouldn't get that, that that's not necessary for them. We need to take that away from them. And so I have to constantly be around to help remind them of why that benefit is there and what it's for. And so when I'm there, I, I, look, I work on bills, I go to committees, I testify in committees. Now, this past year has been all but impossible because everything was done online by the General Assembly for the most part. Uh, the Senate did meet in person, but you still couldn't go and talk to anybody. Can I tell you what the strongest value for me and what I do? And when I talk to legislators, because I'm paid to do that, I have to be registered with the state in a certain way, which I don't think some of you may not like to hear this term, but I am actually a lobbyist. Okay? I'm actually a lobbyist. But I only lobby about that much because the rest of the time I'm talking to churches and trying to explain things and inform them and keep them informed when there's a problem. But I have to be a registered lobbyist because I am paid to do what I do. Do you know what the greatest value of a lobbyist is? It's face-to-face -face with a legislator. I can't sit face-to-face -face with a legislator. Last, I tried to communicate. I would send in emails. Guess what? I don't know if they read the email. You don't know if they read the email. And I'm afraid that they did do a lot of things that maybe we didn't like. But can I tell you something else? There are those who voted for certain legislators that are real happy with what happened. And that's why one particular group is in control right now because of how elections went. You say, well, I look at a map and I see all this red and these little teeny spots of blue. Red being supposedly conservative and blue being not conservative. Liberal, maybe. Folks, can I tell you something? It has to do with population. 
those big red areas like this have a population equal to some of these itty bitty teeny weeny blue areas. It has to do with population. It has nothing to do with geographical size of things. So don't be misrepresented. You know you are less densely populated out here than if you go to Richmond or you go to Hampton or you go to Fairfax or Alexandria, these areas. Understand it's still all done by population. But that doesn't mean that I still don't have a voice and have an ability to communicate. And while you may not believe it, there are on both sides of the aisle. Now, when I say both sides of the aisle, you understand what I'm talking about on one political side and the other political side? On both sides of the aisle, can I tell you, I have built relationships because I've been able to sit down with some over the years. Now, because of elections in the House or every two years, I've seen a turnover pretty fast in the House. And I haven't even gotten to meet some of these new people and various reasons. So it's, it makes it really hard. But if I can sit down with them, explain to them, what I'm doing helps churches and churches help society in these ways. And this is what we try to do in order to help them to understand. So my whole point, my whole purpose is to help them to understand by keeping aware of what's going on with the bills and the laws that, that are going to come about. This is a little bit of a challenging area because sometimes people interpret what a bill will or may do differently from others. And I know I've been called by pastors all across the state. And maybe some of you are familiar with the Virginia Equality Act. Okay. It has been in effect for over a year now. Okay. It's been in effect for over a year now. The Virginia, not the federal, that one is terrifying. But at least in the Virginia Equality Act, there were provisions to protect churches. I've got the line numbers. I've got everything. I did have this stuff vetted because I'm not a lawyer. I had it vetted by some Christian lawyers. Can I tell you something? I was once told by a lawyer. He said, you know what? You can get two lawyers in the same room and you'll get five different opinions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why? Because they could come up with different possible scenarios. Can I tell you what our greatest problem is? It's not in the fact that I don't believe that bill doesn't have provisions. It does have provisions protecting churches. It doesn't protect you if you work at a regular job, though. You work at a regular job, you cannot, or if you own a business, you cannot discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity. You just can't do it. Okay? It may be challenging. But it's the way life is right now. Okay? The fact is, though, that churches are still protected. He can preach the gospel, the full gospel, and he can call sin, sin. He can marry whomever, or he can do the marriage ceremony for various people. He will never be required to marry two same-sex people. Okay? At least as long as we don't get a judge that makes a decision that says otherwise. Now, why would a judge do that? 
because there are too many judges out there who believe that law is a living, evolving document, that they can make it say what it ought to say. And that's a problem. We can't control judges. But you know, I'm thankful for a president who's no longer there now, but he did get a lot of judges put in place in some good areas. Because we need that. But can I tell you, there's a lot of other judges that are in place that are not, you know, friendly to our particular points of view. The fact is, Senate Bill 868 created a lot of consternation, even among some of the similar lobbyists that I work with. And there's not a lot of us that work on behalf of churches or conservative values. I'll just be honest with you, it's not. But the fact is that even amongst some of us, there was a strong disagreement. But here's the thing. Maybe you, maybe they don't like the way I might would operate. But can I tell you something? I operate based on the fact that I represent Jesus Christ in everything I say and do. And how I say and do it. Can I tell you something? Before I got saved, because I was lost and in sin, if somebody had told me some of the things that I've heard some Christians say about a certain other group of people... I would have turned my nose and said, well, I don't care about getting saved, but that's the way you feel about people. You understand what I'm saying? When I got saved back in the 70s, can you think about what the 70s were like around here in this nation? Folks, I'm telling you, I got saved at a time when religion wasn't really important to me. But I'm thankful that there were some compassionate people who told me what the gospel said and that God loved me and he doesn't condition his love. He doesn't condition his love. It's unconditional. I'm kind of preaching in the midst of all this. But the fact is that I can disagree with certain and they can disagree with me. But how I have operated in work, I have done so according to my convictions insofar as the Word of God. And again, I also have, our ministry has a board or steering committee. It can have up to 15 pastors. Right now we have 14 pastors. They are like the thing that makes sure that our ministry is acting and doing what it's supposed to do according to its mission statement and other things. And they understand. And I explain to them, this is how we operated. This is how we work. This is what we did. Have y'all heard of any churches in the state of Virginia that have been sued over the sexual orientation issue? Is there anybody that's heard something that I'm not, not aware of? It's been a year now, almost a year since it's been active. And I'm, I'm telling you that there are things there, but God is still in control whatever comes down the road to us. Okay? We have to keep that in mind. So I've got some other legislative issues that I covered. I don't want to take the time now, maybe later on, but you may know that marijuana is going to be legalized in Virginia. I'm not happy with that either. I don't deal with marijuana, okay? Uh, you know, I feel badly. Uh, educational choice, we want to maintain educational choice. I know there are some who do homeschooling, some who do public school, some who use Christian school. Uh, look, whatever educational venue you choose, you need to have the freedom to do so. And I'm so thankful that we have that in Virginia. None of this has been infringed. None of this has been stopped. Could we do more? Yes, and we've been trying to do more. But I'm going to tell you, to remind you of something. Churches and ministries are still free to operate. 
pastors are still free to preach the full counsel of the, of, the, of the Word of God, and they're not being forced to do anything. You're not being forced to take anybody into your membership that doesn't agree with the Word of God. And so if somebody comes in, and, and I know, I've heard it before, uh, people who say they are maybe homosexual, but they're saved. Now, folks, if they're saved, then they're going to turn from their sin. Right? That's the way I see the Word of God. I'm not going to condemn them one way or the other. But the fact is that you are not required to let anybody come in to your membership that doesn't agree with your statement of faith and whatever else. So nothing has changed in the state of Virginia. These things are still there. If, if, if I was still teaching in a Christian school, I can still teach the Bible. I can still teach the Word of God. I can still teach about salvation. None of that's been impacted at all. So, with regards to, that kind of gets into the transgender issue a little bit. We try to keep you knowledgeable of what goes on. We send a, because in our, um, in our mission statement, my first and foremost responsibility is to pastors, in particular pastors of supporting churches. And I'll just put it that way, but I'm, I'm responsible to pastors. I keep your pastor informed, and you still get a paper copy of our letter each month, I hope. Okay? Now, I send a paper copy, but anybody that wants to be on my email list can also get the same letter that they get, keeping you up to date on what's going on with our ministry. You can go over there. You can get a sign-up card. You can fill it out, or you can take your phone out. You can go to vaib.org. And you can sign up online. Yes, we do have a website, and you can sign up online. You can even donate online. So all of that is available. But, folks, that's how you can be involved, <clears throat> signing up. And then if you're signed up, we use what's called a capital alert to inform you when something, some bill or something has come up that you need to contact a legislator, whether it be state or federal. We, we let you know what's going on. And if your email is on our mailing list, you can get that. Uh, you can also be involved by voting. Now, when I say involved by voting, I mean those of you that are of age to vote can vote. And you can make your voice known. You say, well, I'm only one vote. That's just the way it was intended. The problem we have is that too many Christians, and I don't know that it's true in this area in particular, but too many Christians in too many elections have chosen to sit out and not vote. We're lucky to see 50% of Christians vote. It's just the way it is. This year, there's an election. In Virginia, we have elections every year. They intentionally did that. Some states don't do it that way, but we did. So this year's election is an in-state election for all the House of Delegates members. And your House of Delegates member where this church is located is Ronnie Campbell. He's a Republican. He does a good job, in my opinion, and he does uphold the same values that VAIB stands for. Right, that's all I can tell you. I'm not telling you you ought to vote for him. I'm not telling you you ought to vote one way or another. I'm giving you information. I'm allowed to do that. Um, your senator is Cray Deeds. Cray Deeds doesn't always see eye to eye with some of the things that VAIB stands for. That's his opinion. That's okay with him to do that. Now, you may or may not like that, but remember, a senator represents a larger volume of people 
than a delegate does. A delegate is elected every two years, and the senator is elected every four years. So they have a little bit more cushion time that they can work and do what they do. You can be involved by praying for VAIB, praying for me to have open doors. More importantly, you know what you need to be praying for? You need to be praying for souls to be saved. Because can I tell you something? Not one law ever passed got a person saved. Only the preaching of the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay? And no matter what man can do to you, God can do more. He can do for you what man cannot do. So I'm going to ask you to make sure that you pray. Pray for your elections. Pray for VAIB that will be effective. And then give. Uh, one thing I need is I need churches to be able to give. <clears throat> As happens every year, and I'm sure you folks support missionaries, do you realize that missionaries every year lose some church support for one reason or another? Same thing happens to us. On average, we will lose two churches every year from supporting. One reason or another. All depends. The fact is that we need new churches to come in and support, and we also take donations from individuals. And we're, but we're not ever saying you ought to take money from your giving that you give in your mission program and take it and give it to VAI. That is not what you should do. The church-directed missions program should be supported, but then if you feel like you want to do something outside of that, that's fine. We will take that and use it and use it as wisely as we can in making sure that our, our um, effectiveness continues to, to be there. We also have a yearly meeting. There I go. And that yearly meeting is called the One Voice for Liberties Conference. Every year since I have been involved with VAIB, and by the way, I want to tell you that my wife and I when we were saved in the 70s, we're members of the church where the first VAIB meeting was held. And guess what? My wife even sang in a trio at that time. I know, could we, be, could we have been that young? Yes, we were. But the fact is that we were in a wonderful church, and we were so excited to be a part of that. Well, it's been in Richmond every year. Now, I say Richmond, the basic Richmond area. And when I came on, I just felt compelled because I've had pastors say, why do you always have to have an enrichment? You know, it's a hell of a long ways. And, you know, some, I know lots of preachers who actually have to work another job as well as preach. And it gets kind of challenging. We are going to have our next meeting not that far down the road in Fishersville. So we're going to hold it at Crossroads Baptist Church in Fishersville. And it's going to be one day because normally we, before we would do Thursday evening and then we did do all day Friday. We're going to keep it simple. One day. And we're even going to serve meals on site. You won't even have to pay for it. Now, it would be nice if you give a donation that would help. Okay? But the fact is you don't have to. We want people to come. Men, women, children. We want everybody to come. You say, well, isn't it all just for preachers? No. It's for everybody. Now, some of the things may be focused on what preachers need, but you know what? We want you to come. So we're going to have meals. We're even going to have a light breakfast. We're going to have a lunch, and we're going to have a dinner. We're going to start at 10 a.m. 
I got to remember because we got some business before that that we had, that I have to take care of. But the fact is, we're going to start officially at 10 a.m. That's going to be our business meeting, the VAIB business meeting. You're welcome to attend. And the fact is, after that, we're going to finish at 8 o'clock. As long as we can keep the last preacher within the time frame, we'll be finished at 8 o'clock. You say, you're independent Baptist. You think you can do that? I think I can persuade this guy to, to make sure he stays in, in the time frame. But we are so excited about this new opportunity to come into other parts of the state and be around the state. So long as God gives us that opportunity, we're going to continue to do that. Now, let me stop at this point because now I'm going to get to the featured item, the transgender policies occurring in our public schools. But let me see if there's anybody that has a question while I get a bottle of water <clears throat> to parch, to soothe my parched lips. Ah, yes, ma'am. Um, I understand that you're reaching campaigns at state level and that you work with local churches. What local, so it's a two-part question, what local churches do you work with and how are you equipping the pastors of those churches to do more than just pray, give, vote? So if you're at a state level, how can they affect change at a school board level or in a local municipality? Uh, good point. The, my, my main thrust, as I said, is to make sure the pastors are informed and then they can inform their congregation as to what may be going on. But if people are signed up for emails, then they are going to be as knowledgeable in a very timely manner as to what issues may be going on, okay, in the general form. We do not in any way endorse candidates. We're nonpartisan. I'm a 501c3. So I can't do that. But I will gladly give you any information I have on candidates who are running for office as best I can. Now, for example, right now, you got two situations going on. The Republicans are having a convention, strangest convention I've ever heard of, the way they're doing it. And the Democrats are doing a primary. So if anybody wants to contact me on I've had people contact me about the candidates running in the Republican and the candidates running in the, in the Democrat. Here's the thing, folks. We don't even have candidates that are running for office yet, absolutely, because they've got to go through the convention process. But in the convention process and in the primary process, there are some who are running unopposed. I don't know if Ronnie Campbell's running unopposed or not. He's not? Okay. So, but I know in some districts, people are running unopposed. So I do know that there are a certain number of candidates already going to run for the Republican and a certain number of candidates already going to run for the Democrats. But those who have others running, I will gladly give you any information if you contact my office. And I've had people contact my office. But in general, I say, look, you get as much information as I can get from out there. I, I really don't have any secrets that, that I can tell you about anybody. You just simply need to pray. Now, are anybody here going to be delegates to the Republican thing? Okay. Yeah, not a whole lot. It's, it's going to be a tough slog, I thought, but then I got the explanation. Did y'all get the recent explanation? 
You're going to go in, you're going to get a ballot, you're going to vote, you're going to number everybody, one through whatever, and then they're going to take that ballot and they're going to work through the process as if they were having a convention, eliminating the, the bottom person and then going through another one, eliminating the bottom person. And I thought, oh, wow, I, this is going to be, I've been in a convention before where you had to wait and you voted and then somebody got eliminated and you had to vote again. And that was a long, tough slog. But this will be a pretty easy setup, so to speak. But you had to sign up for this. And that was another challenging thing. The, um, the, the Democratic primary is going to be just, and I don't know how simple it's going to be. I guess somebody's going to get a majority one way or the other and is going to become a, a candidate. But we've also got candidates that they're trying to select for governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. And in Virginia, we have a unique situation. All these people run independently. In other words, the governor and lieutenant governor don't do like president and vice president of the United States. They run independently. And I have seen the situation, even in my years, where we had a Democratic governor, we had a Republican uh, lieutenant governor, and a Democratic attorney general. And I've seen other combinations therein. So it's kind of interesting how those things go. Um, wait a minute, it was something else you said in your question about what local churches are supporting your organization and are those pastors acting as ambassadors, if you will, in these local elections? That's interesting. Uh, I have, no, the pastors do not act as liaisons in that respect. Uh, we have never, I have never wanted to put that responsibility on the pastors in that way. And it's up to them. If they feel compelled, they can. They, they're very free to do that. But insofar as the churches that support VAIB, I don't publish a list or anything like that, but obviously Crossroads Baptist Church of Fishersville supports. And um, I, I'm trying to think. I mentioned Buchanan, um, uh, Valley View in Buchanan, Daniel Boone, pastor, they, they support VAIB. I'm trying to think who else is, oh, well, if you go to Lexington, Bible Church of Rockbridge supports. And if you go, uh, there's various churches in Stanton, uh, Victory Baptist in Stanton. There's in, in uh, Stewart's Draft. There's Ridgeview and uh, Valley Baptist Church. Does that help to answer? If you go to Clifton Forge, Emmanuel Baptist Church supports. Um, um, can't think anymore. I mean, here's the thing. Here's what I've got. I have 171 regular supporting churches. Okay? Um, we are not technically a membership organization, but only, only churches that financially support can vote in the business meeting. Um, this is kind of like what some of the Fellowships do, you know, church uh, pastor fellowships do the same thing. If you're given the money, you ought to have a say-so on how that money is spent. And that's the way we work. One vote, one church, each, each church. So I have 171, but typically during the year, I'll get 10 to 20 churches who they are able to give something once a year, and they'll, they give something. But right now, we are down to one of the lowest points that we've been insofar as regular supporting churches at 171. The lowest I've ever seen, other than when we first started, when there was like 10 or 12 supporting churches, 
169 is the lowest I've ever seen. And, and that was a financial challenge. But churches have, have stepped up and people have stepped up as well. Now, you got another question? Anybody else? Again, I'm not, I haven't even gotten into the transgender issue. And I know it may, I don't want to take forever on this, but if you have any questions about the ministry, uh, how we operate, things like that, you know, like I said, we set a budget, we vote on the budget, everything is, is free and clear uh, insofar as, as what we do and how we operate. I'm a 501c3, therefore we cannot be partisan. That is, I can't tell you a particular party or person to vote for, and I wouldn't do that. But I, if you want to ask me personally what I feel like, I will tell you. Can I say I am not always right on who I think ought to be elected? I've been wrong and right 50% of the time. So, uh, you know, just the way things go. Now, insofar, and I don't want this to get bogged down in uh, long, laborious uh, issues, the transgender policies are 27 pages long. Well, it's 27 pages of paper, but I mean, the policies are not always that much. I know you may not like it. I don't like it because I don't think it answers the problem. I think it tries to um, help support problems that children are having. And I, I think it in, it enables them in ways that later in life, a lot of them are going to regret. Okay? Children are just learning how to make decisions, how to understand about who they are. And again, I need to be careful. I know there's children listening and watching, but the fact is this transgender issue is not an old issue except for this. It's new because we've only had the science to be able to do what these people want to basically turn them from a male into a female. Now, it doesn't change their genetics. Oh, by the way, let me say something. I graduated from the University of Richmond with a biology degree. Can I tell you what? When I sent my, I sent my testimony about this issue when they first started it, because I sent in that testimony, I gave a three-page outline of you're trying to go against science. You're saying you want to agree with science when science doesn't even agree with this, when there's male and female. And they say, oh, but you know there's genetic anomalies. I know there's genetic anomalies. I know that. XXY, XYY. I understand, but those are so rare. Those aren't the people that are trying to fix the problem like this. That's what's so crazy. It's regular people who are born a specific way who think God made a mistake. You know, it would be so much easier. But you know, too many of these kids, they don't even know about God. You realize that at this day and time, 40, uh, um, maybe uh, it's either 30 to 40% of the children have even been exposed to church and the gospel. Only 30 to 40%. No wonder they're confused. Accepting who you are in the sight of God and how God made you is critical. Now, folks, look. This had to be done because a bill was passed, a law was passed, mandating, telling the Department of Education, you got to do this. All they did was they carried out what they were supposed to do. 
Unfortunately, the people that they get as advisors are all the people basically in entities that are going that direction or focused that direction. That's a problem. I feel like that's a, a problem when you don't get a balanced position on things. We can't change that. It's done. This is not an easy document to necessarily accept, but we'll talk about that. Now, insofar as uh, this particular document, there we go. Um, the model policies had to be put in because of the particular bill that was done. They then, what am I doing, going the wrong direction? Come on, there we go. Oh, there it is. And then they have all these areas about what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to do. They've got to do certain areas. Number one, how are they going to be treated? What are we going to do insofar as the language and things like this? How are records going to be kept? You know, it's been the craziest thing to me, how you can be born one thing and then you can get that birth certificate changed. Now, by law, at least in the state of Virginia, the original birth certificate still has to be held, although it's sealed. It's sealed, but it still has to be held. You know, people can go out and do anything they want to try to change who they are, change their name, change whatever. Uh, I've got a young man that uh, my wife and I were familiar with, <sighs> went to college, went the far side. I mean, the young boy made a profession when he was young, lives in New York, and he is no longer a he. He's a she. Pretty, but... Still a she. I mean, you can put, as they say, you can put a lot of paint on a cow. It doesn't change, or a pig. It doesn't change the pig. It's still a pig. Okay? And the fact is, this is simply designed to take care of the problem. I've, I've always said, we shouldn't bully anybody. Nobody needs to be bullied. But once you start naming people you can't bully, guess what? If you're not on that list, they can bully you. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And that's the sad thing. So with regards to these policies and what they did, the real intent, the real intent, I don't know how well you can read that. Yeah. And I have some documents that I've collected over the years. In, in 1995, it was, it was very obvious what the, L, the, at that time, the homosexuals, they were just called homosexuals. Now it's LGBTQ+. And I'm told that the plus is 65 other entities. How can you come up with 65 other anythings other than male and female? I'm a scientist. I'm a biologist. I'm thoroughly confused. Oh, but it's what a person believes. Look, as, as the old saying goes, just because you believe your car doesn't make you a Ford. Okay? But in the beginning, the whole point was controlling the narrative. We as Baptists, we as born-again believers should understand what it means to be persistent in serving the Lord, in faithfully serving the Lord. The LGBT groups, it took them over 20 years to even move the needle forward to give them some freedoms and protections. I believe they should, everybody should still be protected from being beat up, from being attacked, and whatever else. But here's the thing. What they wanted to do is control the narrative. And that's where they began to change terminologies using the word gay. 
And they began to control the narrative. And that's why we are where we are. I'm sorry that we can't change it. Can we change it? Only by seeing the hearts and minds of people saved. That's it. I don't know of any other solution other than getting to the heart and mind of an individual with the gospel. That's why our churches are so important. They're invaluable into what we, what we want to do. But understanding their motives is important. And so, therefore, since they are controlling the narrative, me and my clicker, does, okay, they're going to control the terminology, they're going to change the guiding principles, and they're going to make themselves out for being the person who's always being bullied. Guess who's being bullied now? You and me. You and me. Let me tell you a story. Right before this uh, bill was passed, the prior year, the previous year, so that would have been um, 2018, 2019, 20, no, 2019, in 2019. I always give the same similar testimony about why we are opposed to putting protections, specifically naming uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, and that kind of stuff in the law because I felt like it was naming those who would get special protections and everybody else would be left out. And so I gave my testimony. I gave it. I, I left it and there were others that did the same thing and then there were a huge number of people that gave their testimony supporting the bill. Well, that year the bill did not pass. But I could tell that there was a mean spirit in that, in that room. And the room that I probably gave testimony in would probably be the size of these two middle sections about what it was. But it, or maybe if you took and cut the auditorium in half like that, because that's where there, was, there were four sections. I was in this middle section with a visitor. <laughs> a young man had come to visit me and see what things were like at the General Assembly. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I could tell that the, that the atmosphere was getting ugly. Because after I gave my testimony and so forth, others uh, of the other crowd were saying pretty ugly things against me and some of the other people about, you know, you, you've got all the rights and we don't have any rights and they going on and like this. So I got my briefcase before they, once they had the final vote before other things were done, I said, we got to leave now. So I'm trying to leave and I'm, you're trying to go by all these people and they saw me leaving. And so before I got to the door leaving out, I had four guys, four of the people that were supporting the LGBT bill around me, yelling and screaming at me. I pushed myself into the hall. In the hall, others joined in. By time, before I got out of that building, in that building, I probably had to walk a hall about as wide as this auditorium. Before I could get out of that building, I mean, I had a dozen people yelling and screaming at me. Now, my wife will tell you that in my younger days, I was not exactly a patient person. <laughs> and I probably would have done something, but I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. I knew they were mad. They had lost what they lost the bill. They, I kept on going. I got outside, and there's still more. So I got 10, 15, I don't know how many people around me, because I was keeping my head down. I felt so sorry for this other guy that he's being subjected to all this stuff too. And one of my friend lobbyists ran up to me. He's with the Catholic Conference. Now, say what you want about Catholics. This guy 
we were 90% of agreement on the issues and things like that. And this was one area. He, he ran over to me, literally put his arms out like this, watching the other people, says, Eddie, Eddie, is there anything I can do to help you? I said, just get me out of here. That's how ugly it got. Can I tell you, it hasn't gotten any nicer. Because now they have the upper hand. Now they believe they're in control. My God is still in control. Whatever it is we have to go through, we're going to go through. But my God is still in control. I simply do this because I believe it's something we can do and should do in order to help churches and to help Christians. But folks, I feel for those of you that maybe are teaching in, in the public school, because you are going to be told you have got to act and do and say a certain way. I don't want to take a whole lot of time to go over any specifics. Anybody uh, at this point got a question about anything? Because I'm going to... Yeah, go to the next, next slide. Go to the next slide. Uh, go to... Oh, go to slide 17. Can you tell where we are on that one? Yeah, page, it says page 13 on the slide. Got it. Thank you. The thing about this policy that is so confusing is about the fact that you're going to have to address them by their preferred pronoun. And you can't tell the parent, if the parent doesn't know about the transgender student, you can't tell the parent because of privacy. You know what? I'll bet if that same child broke their arm and you said, oh, I don't want to tell the parent. I don't want to tell the parent. You would be in trouble because you've got to tell the parent if there's a medical issue. But you can't tell them if it's a transgender issue. Folks, this is going to come back to bite them. I know it is. Much in the same way back in the early 1900s, and some of you that are older remember the time frame when certain people were sterilized. Certain people were sterilized. And it took 40, 50 years before it was really rectified. And scientists today say, how could we be so stupid and do such things like that? Because we're human. We make judgments. And sometimes those judgments are, are terrible. But here's a good thing. There's a lawsuit in place right now. And I don't know how many of you pick up certain other news. But a, a professor at Shawnee State University in Ohio refused on his Christian beliefs, refused to address a child by, or a, excuse me, at that time they're in college, an adult student by their preferred pronouns, and instead was referring to them by their name. Well, I think that's just as respectful using their name, but that, that student was intensely trying to force the teacher to have to use the pronoun. He said he wasn't going to do it. Well... The federal appeals court agrees with him that if it is a firmly held belief, you can't force somebody. Now, this is going to have to play out to the courts. I think it's going to take at least two years to play out to the courts. By the way, VAIB, when we were working in the beginning to get religious exam daycares and we got the bill passed, guess what happened? It was sued when it went into effect because there were those churches that had daycares that believed that licensing was necessary. And so they sued to get the law overturned. You know how long that court case went? 
Anybody know? Anybody got a guess? Ten years. Ten years that law case, that case went, to, went through the courts. Because it went back and forth through some of the appeals courts. The weirdest thing was the, a judge died in the middle of it. Oh, my. Did that throw everything off? But it took 10 years. Now, the good thing was churches were able to operate under the assumption that religious-exempt daycares could operate. So they did. They were not forced to get licenses. But law cases, court cases like that take a long time. This case, I think, is going to take maybe a couple of years. And I think we're going to start seeing some some pushback saying religious liberties have been protected a lot longer than transgender issue liberties have been protected and they need to be protected but I'm going to tell you something else if the federal HR 5 Values Act passes you talk about a problem because churches are not protected nobody's protected no entity has a, has a get out of jail free or a pass Everybody has to follow it. That's a problem. I don't really think that that law would hold scrutiny under the current Supreme Court. But that will take up to five years maybe to go to court. So there are, there are things that we have to be careful about. There's other things they want to put and go to the next slide. They want to make sure that the records are accurate. Ah, weird, you know, you got a person that was a boy and now this person's a girl. Of course, the name has been changed. But dress and grooming standards is going to be an issue. They are now not going to be able to have dress and grooming standards to say that boys can't wear dresses or, you know, other way around. Um, it, it's, it's going to be a mess as far as the grooming standards. That's going to be a challenge. Student activities are no longer going to be allowed to be segregated by sex unless there's an absolute necessity for it. Restrooms are not, you're not allowed to tell a student what restroom they can and cannot go into. Now, here's the thing. I know the argument, and I've heard it from people in my churches. Yeah, but we don't want somebody going in and doing something to one of our little kids in the restroom. I understand. Can I tell you something? I've run across and dealt with enough transgender people. They're going to the restroom for one reason, to use the restroom. Okay? They're, they're not perverts in that respect. But the fact is, I do know that there are perverts, and you know it, I know it. That's why what we're trying to tell you is, as a church is you've got to be careful. You see people come in that you're not sure who they are, anything else, you need to be careful. And by the way, for years now, we have been suggesting this to pastors and churches. If you are going to have people work with children, we strongly suggest that you do a background check on everybody. Strongly suggest it. Okay? You say, oh, no, we got good people. Can I guess what? We found out that some of our Christian schools in the Christian schools and daycares that were required to do background checks, and there were some people that were volunteering. They found out had a felony record. And some of them even had a felony record in an area that would have been keeping them away from children. Right. Folks, there are some things that we need to do out of just an abundance of caution and responsibility. We need to be, be able to do these things. You get new people to join your church, they look sweet and wonderful. I mean, I could come in, you might think I'm the greatest guy in the world. I might not be. Okay? So, 
I strongly urge anybody that's involved in these types of things, you need to do that. You need to, to make sure. And, and again, you may have to have somebody stationed to watch and things like that. A lot of churches in particular, and again, I'm from the Richmond area, a lot of them to, are now going through the policy of having somebody on guard out in the parking lot. They lock the doors when church service starts. Somebody's at the door to open, allow them to come in. I remember trying to visit a church one time uh, because that's, I try to get into churches that aren't familiar with BAIB and, and, and introduce myself to the pastor. And I try to go to a church. The door was locked. I'm thinking, who locks a door for church? And I thought, if I was in this area, I think I'd lock the door too. It was not a great area, okay? It's just be honest. It's just, some areas are just not good. Guess what? They try to pick areas like this, though, as well, because they can get in easier. So that's kind of where we are. To some degree, we have to be doing all that we can to be prepared. So what can school staff do? Let's make it simple. You can comply or quit. It's that simple. You can comply or quit. But just because you comply doesn't mean you give up your religious liberties and your ability to speak, your, have your freedom of speech. No. Now, you can't be ugly to a child or whatever else, but the fact is you still have your rights. It's just now there's some qualifications that you have to be careful of. I'm not trying to get people to, to quit, but let me just say something. My wife and I, when we were called in the ministry, after I graduated out of uh, college, I was called into Christian school ministry. I do homeschooling, whatever it is. I think you should be able to do that because you have greater control than what's going on in the public arena. Next slide. Oh, I went back. Yeah. What can school parents do? Comply or take your child out? Comply or take your child out. Can I, let's be careful about this. How many students are we really talking about in the school system that fit this category? I mean, if anybody here is in the public school, I mean, would you say in the local public school, it's five and under? Five and under, right? Right. So, we're not talking about a huge number of people. And while you may want to teach your child, and I know I try to teach my child to, be, to treat everybody fairly, you still want to treat everybody fairly, but it doesn't mean they have to be friends with them. And if it comes to a trip, and that child, the transgender child is going on a trip, you, you better get your child a separate room. <laughs> That's what you can do. So there are things that you're going to have to do. It's going to be a challenge. I'm just saying, this is what's going to happen. It's not going to change. And I've been contacted by a group that was saying, oh, but we can try to get these things. I'm telling you, they are not going to deviate from what this thing says. They have put it down. They vetted it internally. And I don't think they're going to. Yes, ma'am. Can you stand up? Would you mind standing up so I can hear you better? Yep. No, I, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, we're being told two different things. So we're saying, don't worry about it. It's not going to pass down. But then I'm reading other things. We're reading other things. Is it going to take place now? I mean, I'm in elementary school, so I'm a little different 
than the middle and high school? It will take place. I, I, I guarantee you. Understanding like I do the regulatory process and what they've gone through, unless they felt highly compelled to go back and do some revisions, it's going to go into effect the next school, uh, September, next school year. Will it be up to a school board as to how much they push it, or is everybody going to be on the same level? Let me just say everybody ought to be on the same level because the school board could be sued if they don't make sure that it gets enforced. It's that, that's, that's what it is. Again, this is a law passed down from the legislature and localities. Here's the thing. Localities can do more, which is what they do in Fairfax and some of these other places. But they can't do less. They can't do less. Uh, just a moment. Somebody, yes. Uh, I'm actually a former public school teacher at the high school and I'm not returning because of everything that's happening. I'm actually running for school boards. Um, one of the things that was told to me by our school board chair was that I was misinformed when I was presenting this exact information and that it was passed and that these are the guidelines and I know this document like the back of my hand. And she told me that there's no need to let everyone and the public know what's going on because you're just raising fear for no reason. So these are the options, yep. without a doubt. Either go along with it or pull your kids out. And that's where we're honestly at um, until, things, until things change with politics. Right. But the mindset is keep everyone in the dark because we don't want people angry. Yep. And that's why there is this confusion. Is it happening or is it not happening? Basically, they want it to go into effect without alarming a lot of people. And again, hopefully the number of students that are creating the problem won't hit the news. But it's just like I dealt with the first transgender issue that became a problem down in... Um, Ralph Van Ness's chart. Uh, ordinary, I say ordinary, but at Gloucester, in Gloucester County. I was there, testified, did everything. The school board did everything right, but now they don't have a choice. Yes, ma'am, you had a question. So I'm also a public school teacher, elementary, uh, teach with this card. Um, what protection do we have as teachers um, when all this is coming down the pipe? And protection in, in from what area? Do we have, we have nothing? Do what you're told, and if you don't, then you'll be, you'll be reprimanded and potentially fired. They can't fire you? They can fire us. If you don't want to comply, if you have a student that's a transgender student, and it's a, a little boy, but you know it wants to be a girl, and it wants to be addressed as a girl, if you don't do that in the elementary level, you'll get in serious trouble. Not tell their parents, correct? And well, it all depends on the situation. If the parents are the ones initiating, and typically at the elementary level they are, yes. But if they're not, if you were to say, "Well, what would your parents think about?" It? My parents don't know, and I don't want them to know. Then you are—it's kind of like you're being made a doctor and a lawyer, insofar as you don't have the right to divulge. This information, this information is being kept secret. I think there might be some test cases going to have to come up about that because we're, we're really expanding that area of uh, secrecy into a degree that, that is really problematic, very much problematic. Yes? And I don't want to get That's right. here, but so 
if I have an elementary student who says, Ms. Clark, I'm a girl now, it's a boy, and I want to go into the girl's bathroom, legally I have to allow that? Yes. However, let me just say, you can, you, we're familiar enough with little kids. Is that little kid seemingly being sincere or is he being a devilish little child? <laughs> You know, you can go and you can monitor the child going to the restroom. Now, most, a lot of elementary classes, they have a, a single-use restroom right there in the... You don't. Okay, so some don't. So um, you may have to do some monitoring. I, I don't know. I don't know how much you're going to be allowed. You may have to ask that question of the administration. This is all new, and it's going to take some time to get this in place. Yes, sir. Uh, do you not think there will be any lawsuits or anything uh, to try to push this back or reverse this other way? Only way it's going to happen is if we get a whole new legislature who completely disagrees with this and puts in new regulations to throw it all out. But then what you're going to do is you're going to have this swinging door or this swinging pendulum, depending on who's in control in the legislature and who's going to do what. Can I tell you that a lot of the legislators... Sometimes it's really challenging. Once you've lost uh, the battle, it's time to regroup and determine what's worth fighting for, what's worth, what's not worth fighting for. Piggybacking off that, so the Alliance of Defending Freedom has filed suit several churches in conjunction with Christian schools. Do you know an update on that? Are they uh, making? Uh, and, and you're talking about probably the Virginia Values Act on the making churches and those ministries have to hire somebody? Is that? Well, and it, and it goes into this too. The transgender? Involved? Yes. Okay, I wasn't aware that the transgender issue was dealt with in that. My understanding is it was only dealing with the hiring of staff and firing. of. They filed suit and so did the Faith family just on March 30th of this, just last week, they filed suit. Okay. Um, um, you're talking about the Family Foundation, their yes. legislative arm, their, I mean, their legal arm. Uh, First Foundation, I think, is something like that. Um, it could. It could. Here's the problem with some of the lawsuits, and I have a problem with the, with the um, Alliance Defending Freedom lawsuit, because I know the one Christian school they're representing is Calvary uh, Road Christian School, but they're a ministry of the church. I know probably a half a dozen other Christian schools that wanted to be into that lawsuit, and they were refused for the reason I'm going to tell you. They were under a church ministry whose guidelines and policies are already in place that protected them because that's what the law says. As long as you have everything in place and you are a religious entity, you can protect yourself. You don't have to hire. You can hire and fire at will, uh, and you don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to allow those people to be hired in. So I, I'm kind of curious how that lawsuit, that's why I'm going to watch. Now, folks, all I can do is watch, like you, and wait and pray. But I'm not aware of the transgender issue yet being in a lawsuit. It could be, and I've just made up, you know, they don't exactly contact me on this. So, um, that's just the way it goes. Any other questions? Yes, sir. One of the points they were implementing on the prevention and response to bullying and I wonder if that word prevention, does that mean that they're, even though you say that less than 3% are, are factually affected, are they going to do mass education to the children to explain to them 
It informed them of this issue, and also that response, uh, bullying can be anything you want. So if, if, if a boy is saying, uh, I'm a girl, and then, my, and then the other boy says, well, no, you're a boy, is that classified as bullying to them? Yeah, no. That's going to be a good question. And when you're dealing with kids, kids don't understand these dynamics. They don't understand these nuances. So it's going to be a challenge going forward. I can, I can agree with that. Uh, it's, but it's just like the lawsuit that happened in Gloucester. The student that was trying to sue, in the second year, that student graduated. And now we're three years beyond, uh, two years beyond that. And now they're just coming to a resolution. That's what I'm saying. It, takes, it could take up to five years to get some of these things done. What do you do in the meantime? Because they're going to continue to act as if the policies are the right things to do. But that's my other concern is what he mentioned. What are your kids going to be taught about these individuals? They're going to be shown books and they're going to have speakers come in, which we've already, maybe you've seen in the news and I've seen in the news on these reading programs that they have with the public libraries, bringing in these individuals that are teaching these values that we don't believe in. And so you've got to be aware. It's tough. And about the only way that you can absolutely be sure is for your child not to be in the school. And that's, that's a problem. I, and I don't have any other real solution. What can I do? I can just continue to try to put forward this agenda that it's wrong, it's not even science-based, and maybe we can get this thing flipped on its head back to a, a point of saying, look, Everybody just needs to be treated equally. For these individuals, it needs to be done under the auspices of the parents knowing what's going on, and they should be the ones. Sometimes I think those parents, though, should be um, seek some sort of help to figure out, is this really the right thing for their child? Sometimes they just go off the deep end unnecessarily on this because they're being convinced it's the right thing. Form of child neglect. That's what I think it is, but that's not what they call it. But 10 years ago, it would have been. 10 years ago, it would have been child abuse. Again, this is how things change, and even in the medical field. So unless we can get some changes there, and uh, I'm, I'm lost on some of this. Christians all don't comply and quit, then who's teaching these children? Who's going to be there for these children? And that's the other sad thing is, you know, we want to try to help these children, but what do we do for them? Yes, sir. I'm sorry I was late. I didn't know it started at five. And so maybe you've already covered this, but is the church's, uh, is the church tied to the requirement of the government that they're seeking to, seeking to impose on us because of our tax-exempt status? If we were to forego a tax-exempt status, then we can just, can we just... Uh, be released from it, or is this beyond that? It, it has to do with being a religious entity recognized by the state. You're not a reporter, are you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Understand. Um, I, I'm sorry. I've, I've had reporters slip in before, and every time I've had a reporter slip in, I've been, I've been stabbed in the back by how they took and they always pierce, uh, parse everything up the way they want it. Um, what's happening is, this, and this is going to be a tough fight at the federal level, I believe, on can churches 
religious entities continue to have that recognition of being a nonprofit and hold to their religious values and be able to continue to discriminate in these areas under the current laws that are being put in place? That's the big question. Right now, yes, churches are protected right now. And even in the state level, under the state law, they're protected. Look, I had one of the um, legislators who is LGBT. And I went to him and I said, look, I, please just tell me honest. Is this bill intended to force churches to comply? And he said, no. Now, this was a guy that was one of the sponsors of the bill, okay? An experienced person. However, I did hear testimony from other legislators who said, absolutely, I want churches to be forced to comply. Two of them in particular that did that. And I understand that's what they want. But you know what? They don't have to come to our church. Stay away from our church. That's fine. Leave us alone. The problem with the law is that law is intrusive. It goes everywhere. It affects everybody. Any other questions? Yes, sir. My hometown is in Stanton. Yep. I was, uh, anyway, long story short, I went down to Bristol because I hate the rest where they help homeless and actually gave my life over to the Lord. Amen. I was a believer four years ago when I saw myself in the 12th day. I knew I was to die, and I asked for giving for myself a shot, and I asked him to come to my heart, and I didn't want to go to hell, bring him to heaven. He gave my life back. But I was only a believer. I didn't give my life to him yet. But then God did. I got off the road, I got off the bus while I was sitting there in Verona. I've been walking back. <laughs> I slept behind churches, I slept under bridges. With your intent, well, not your intent, but what you said when I first walked in and walked in here about you have a protected church, about locked doors, locked service. I need to be in my word. I need to hear the word. I need to get in my scripture and I read my daily bread every day. How does this affect me on my trip back home when I wanted to give them to a church and hear the word and not be judged? That's tough. Yes, sir. It is. It's tough. And, and I wish I had answers for everything, but I don't. But insofar as what I'm saying is churches just need to be more uh, paying attention to what's going on. The reason they were locking doors is because in some of the areas, uh, they were being robbed. Okay? But there's somebody at the door that would let you in. Somebody eventually let me in, in that church. But the fact is that we're dealing with a tough situation. Churches by their nature, are private entities. We are a private, this is a private entity. And it's, a, it's run by, so to speak, the membership and the pastor. And they need to have the freedom to worship as they feel like God is directing them. And that's what we want to see. Look, what I'm saying, by the way, helps Muslim mosques. It helps Jewish synagogues. It helps every religious entity. I remember when I was contacted and being asked to, to make sure that a mosque didn't get built in any in a particular city. Can you come up and help give testimony? I said, no, I can't do that. <gasps> Why not? Don't, you don't want a mosque. I said, no. I said, but if you don't want a mosque, then you need to get them all saved. Yeah. 
I'm not trying to be oversimplified, but that's the simple answer. You want to fix it? Get people saved. If there's nobody going to the mosque, mosque going to close. The fact is, if we're going to respect religious freedom, we have to respect it in the broad sense. And so we have to look at the broad picture of what may or may not happen. All right, then let me just take a few minutes to challenge you. Now, I know I've given a, a little bit of scripture, but let me challenge you about something. People would ask, again, they question me. Why do you, if, if God is in control, why do you need to do anything? If God is all-powerful, what can you do that he can't do? Well, I think we have to understand Scripture and the full picture of Scripture because Scripture, you can't just take one, one statement from Scripture and try to apply it in a too broad sense without comparing Scripture with Scripture. And one of the best examples I like to use is Nehemiah. So I'm going to challenge you from Nehemiah in chapter 1 about something. If you're not familiar with Nehemiah, he was one of the Jews that lived in Babylon at a time when the Jews had been taken captive and carried away by, you know, by the Babylonians in a particular time frame. Uh, can't remember the exact date or so forth, but it was way back then, okay? Uh, back in the B.C. periods. And when they took these people captive and brought them to Babylon, they re-educated them. Nehemiah is probably second or third or even fourth generation Jew of those that were taken captive. So he was born and raised in Babylon. That'd be like being born and raised in New York City, being born and raised in Los Angeles. I can't think of too many, maybe Richmond, but I, I think Los Angeles would be qualified maybe a little bit more of a challenge than Richmond. The fact is, he was born and raised there, and guess what he did? He worked for the king. He was a cupbearer. A cupbearer. Not a real fancy job necessarily, but he did get to serve the most important person in the kingdom. And to do that took him having certain qualities and abilities. You know, one thing that frustrates me sometimes, I understand pastors get frustrated with what goes on in in the General Assembly or with the, vote, with the elected officials and things. Please don't raise your hand if you've ever done this or said this, okay? Don't raise your hand because I don't want to know. But here's the thing. I've had pastors call me and say, when are you going to straighten those people out up there at the General Assembly? When are you going to tell them how to do things? When are you going to get things fixed? Okay. That's not in my job description, Okay. <laughs> I can't do that. I am one person, and like you, I have one vote. What do I do? I work to build a relationship so that this person can understand who I am and where I'm coming from, and I can understand who they are and where they're coming from. By the way, you understand it's a, a conversation is a two-way street. You got to listen. And you know what? If in Romans, Paul said that those in authority were put there by God, would I be doing something against God if I was trying to tell them how to do their job? We have to understand that the way that, the way that things operate in the broad sense 
Yes, is under God's, and God sees beginning from the end. And I don't have a clue because I'm just seeing a narrow sliver of what's going on. But Nehemiah loved God, loved the people of God. He had never been to Jerusalem, but he had a brother that did. And that brother told him how terrible things were back home. Now, as a Jew, they loved Jerusalem because it was the home. It was the original home. And when he heard about how bad things were, it broke his heart. It broke his heart. And he prayed to God and said, basically ask God, God, help me make a difference. That's what I'm asking you to do. Help make a difference. Be a part of the solution. Don't run away from the problem. I'm telling you, you can't turn your back on the problem. It's still going to be there. And so Nehemiah had a great opportunity by serving King Artaxerxes that there came a point because he was so burdened, he was praying and fasting. Folks, you know that that's going to show up on somebody. When somebody is burdened about something. I mean, how many times have you run into somebody and you can just tell by their demeanor that something is bothering them? And one day, King Artaxerxes, because he's this guy... Nehemiah is serving the king. He's theirs. And by the way, you know what the job of the cupbearer was? Eat the king's food, drink the king's drink before the, food, before the king did. Now, why? Because the king needed a buddy to chat with or something at supper time? No. It was to prevent an assassination. Look, I like good food, brother, but it would upset my stomach if I thought it might poison me. <laughs> and that's the whole purpose of the cupbearer. He was there to prevent the king from being assassinated. He would eat some of the food, eat and drink some of the drink. And if he didn't die, then the king would eat. Isn't that, right? Isn't that just fantastic? What a job. Now, there were other things. As a personal valet, you might say, that was his job. But this guy had been around for a while. Artaxerxes had been king at this point for about 20 years. And so Nehemiah had been around that whole time from, from what the records say. And one day... When the king saw how upset he was, he confronted him. He said, Nehemiah, what's going on? What is bothering you? Because this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. He could tell that this man was emotionally distraught over something. And so he explained to the king. And by the way, Nehemiah had been praying and fasting. What had he been praying for? God, help me to be a solution to this problem. Help me find a way to help the people of God. Folks, can I say something? Two, don't say... God, help show me what I can do to help fix a problem. And then if God shows it to you, you say, oh, God, I don't want to do it that way. Oh, no, God, you're asking way too much of me for that. Now, God shows you he wants to use you some way. Be willing to do it. And this is where I put my plug in for running for political office. <laughs> some of you men or women, hey, we've got some... Some great uh, women legislators. You say, well, I don't know if that's a place. Hey, look, women are just as smart as you guys, okay? And in some cases, they got a little bit better demeanor about how they handle things. But I'm telling you, we got some great men and women up there that are trying to do their best. And if they do one little thing in opposition to what you do 
or what you think they should do, you go ballistic. Don't do that. Be kind to these people. Pray for them. If they didn't vote the right way, just let them know. Look, I wish you hadn't voted that way. I wish you'd voted another way. But I'm praying for you that God will give you the heebie-jeebies or something, you know, so you won't do that again. Look, all I'm saying is Nehemiah was willing to do it, and when confronted by the king, he told the king why he was upset. He said, Jerusalem lieth at waste. Walls are torn down. Gates are burned with fire. People are in great distress. And the king said, well, what do you want me to do? Now, if somebody said, what would it take, what would you want me to give you to fix such and such a problem? Do you start thinking, oh, I don't want to ask too much because then he'll say no. But if I ask for a little bit, then maybe he'll say yes. My God is a great God. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He can change anybody's heart. He can move the heart in whatever direction he wants. Please don't restrict God. If God gives you an open door, ask. And he did. He said, let me go back. Rebuild the city. Now, he, can't, he knows what he's asking for. He doesn't say it, but he knows what he's asking for. He's asking the king to make him a cupbearer governor of Jerusalem, because he knows the only way he can do that task is for him to be in charge of the city and have the wherewithal to be able to do it. He knows what he's asking. He didn't ask, oh, I need you to make me governor. Oh, no, no. He understood. You know, in, 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 uh, in the arena that I work in, sometimes you don't ask directly. Sometimes you, you kind of lay it out and let the person figure it out. I always remember my mom used to tell me about my dad. I always let your dad think he's figuring it out and coming to the conclusion that I wanted to come to. I, my mom was so smart, so smart. My dad was so stubborn. <laughs> I think my wife would say the same thing about me. The fact is that he explained to the king, and the king said, okay, how long is that going to take? Now, I don't know how long he ever said. It doesn't say. But it took him 52 days to get the walls rebuilt and everything basically in order. Basically in order, what he was trying to accomplish. But he stayed there for 12 years serving as the governor. And by the way, he did so without pay. Now, I can't work without pay. I, my wife, I got to put some food on the table. But the fact is that he knew he could do this given God's blessing in doing this job and accomplish something. And he did. And he made other reforms. There were other great reforms that were accomplished during his tenure. But can I tell you something? He didn't do it without a lot of challenge. You know, they tried to assassinate him several times. I know some people, you, you, you know, offend them just a little bit. And they say, well, I just won't go back to that church. Okie dokie. As I always say, take your ball and go home. Yeah. Folks, sometimes we just need to be willing to work together in spite of our differences. Nehemiah was willing to help these people in spite of the challenges. And because he was willing, God was able to use him. What I'm trying to get at is things only get accomplished with people. That's the way God works. God uses people and he needs you 
to be one of his tools to go out and make a difference. I appreciate all the good questions and comments and things, and you may have other questions for me. Look, everything is not easy. We're facing a challenging time. I've heard all kinds of things. Sometimes what we see is a pendulum swings one way and then it begins and it swings right back. Is it good? I, it is what it is. But if you sit out of voting, you sit out of the process. If you say, well, I don't want to hear about that. And by the way, you do have to be careful about listening sometimes too much to certain, certain streams of information. Okay? Uh, my wife will tell you, I'll listen to all kinds of news because if you listen to enough of a spectrum of news, somewhere in there you're going to get the, the truth. You're going to get everything. I know that the liberal news media skews things in a direction that they want. I know that. I'm not stupid in so far as that. But I also know that sometimes we need to be willing to listen to hear the conversation so that when we deal with people, we can do so kindly, compassionately, with a heart of concern. Because I, I feel sorry for parents that are so confused about their child that they, when that baby was born, there was a sweet little baby girl or a sweet little baby boy, and they had great hopes and dreams for that child, and now everything's being changed. And they don't know. They want to do the right thing for that child. If they want to do the right thing for that child, help that child find out who he or she is as God made them. And that will help them. Nehemiah was willing to be used. I only ask you to be willing to be used. I know I've taken a lot of your time. You have been so gracious to this, to give me this much time, and I appreciate it. Again, if you have any questions, please see me, and I'll be glad to answer them. Brother, give it back to you. try and cover in a little bit of time, but I appreciate Brother Eddie and I appreciate his faithfulness to stay on top of these issues and, and his, his job of informing us is invaluable because uh, he understands what's going on. He understands why things are being passed, what's behind the things that are being passed. And I know numerous times I've sent him an email or called him and said, what does this mean? And he can just tell us straight up. Here, here's what it means. Here's what's going on and can clarify it. So invaluable. Oftentimes, we do take that mindset of somebody like Brother Eddie and be like, why don't you just change it? But you, you can't just change it. But having him uh, to inform us to do our part. And I know uh, he, he kind of gave us there. He said, what, what do we do? Well, you can comply or quit. You can comply or educate elsewhere. And you're like, well, that's not what I want to hear. It's not what any of us want to hear. But the Bible did say, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. The Bible did say that things would get worse and worse. Whenever you're dealing with an ungodly society, we're not going to make a lot of headway in getting them to do things in a godly way outside of the gospel. And so at that point, Brother Eddie informs us and says this is what's coming down. Now, I believe it was Miss Angie asked the question. She said, if all the Christians leave the school system, there'll no longer be a witness. And Miss Angie, I believe that's a wonderful point. And although I'd like to comment on everybody's question, I'm not going to. But I do want to say that if, if you are able in yourself to comply 
in order to be a light in an ungodly culture and God gives you that strength and that ability, I say yea and amen. Go be that light. But if you look at yourself or you look at your children and you say it's better for our Christian faith and our growth in Christ for us to remove ourselves from this ungodly uh, society, then make that choice. You're like, but what am I going to do? God has promised that he'll take care of those who obey him. Take that step of faith and God will take care of you. Forty years ago, I was five years old. Now you know, I'm 45. Forty years ago, I was five years old. And my dad said, the public school system that I graduated from four or five years ago is an ungodly place and my son will never attend there. My dad worked double jobs. He worked extra hours. He did everything he could because you can't go to Christian school for free. Somebody's got to pay the staff. Somebody's got to pay the light bill. But he did whatever he could to make sure that his son received Christian education. Dad had five kids. And then dad became a full-time pastor. He did roofs. He built decks. He mowed grass. Whatever he could do to keep his kids out of the public school. So you say, we want to fix the public school system. I would love to fix it too. But I don't have a lot of hope that we're going to fix it. As Brother Eddie said, the pendulum may swing back. There may be some improvements. But overall, I don't think we're going to fix it. But I do think as Christians we can say, you know what? My belief in God and the outcome of my children is more important and I'm going to do what I have to do. And so, Brother Eddie, I appreciate you coming. I appreciate those that are uh, wanting to know, wanting to learn, and pray for us uh, as we are looking as to what God would have us as a church do. Uh, the deacons and I will be talking this Thursday night again about some things that we are working on. And I don't want to reveal too much because I don't want to build hopes up and then crash them, but some things that we are working on, possibly even putting in place this fall to give you some options and give you some places and some different opportunities for educating your children. Uh, uh, Miss Brandy and Miss Amy uh, have got together a homeschool co-op. They call it Keystone. And if you are interested in homeschooling your child or if you are interested in homeschooling through their co-op, they are a tremendous resource. They'll get, point you in the right direction for what books to buy, help you with that. Tremendous resource. So there are other options. There are other things that we can do. And so just pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And Brother Eddie, I appreciate the one thing that you drove home over and over and over again. The answer is the gospel. Amen. We need never, ever tear down the importance of the gospel. That's what makes a difference. Be busy telling others about Christ. We do want to take up an offering. It'd be a blessing to Brother Eddie. If I could get some ushers to come forward, we'll get ready to take up an offering. Uh, Brother Eddie uh, doesn't charge anything. And, and I have to say that a lot of times I would be busy or whatever and I'd have a question I want to ask Brother Eddie and finally late Friday night I would get around to sending the email 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock Friday night I would send the email and boom I'd have an answer within minutes Saturday I send an email I get an answer on Saturday I mean he is on the spot he is working he is busy and never charges anything he wants to be a blessing to churches. So we want to take up an offering and give what we can. Let Brother Eddie know that we appreciate him and appreciate the work that he is doing. Brother Corey, why don't you pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the offering. Pray that we'll be able to do something. We'll just uh, help us to stay strong in faith. 
continue the quiet communion. We're just uh, asking you to bless this offering. We're just praying that uh, we have a good offering here tonight, Lord, to help this brother. We're just uh, bless it in every way. I do pray. Amen. giving. Uh, do make uh, time to come over here to the information table. And as Brother Eddie was saying, he's got the brochures and pamphlets tells you about VAIB and they do uh, a lot more than just uh, help us out with information. They have a lot of things that they do. So come over here, get some information, uh, get uh, the website and the email address and uh, ask Brother Eddie some questions. Do remember though that we want to make sure Brother Eddie gets home before dark, so don't hold him too long. Uh, but uh, come on over here and ask some questions, get some information and uh, thank him for coming. Thank him for spending some time with us. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy Ramsey if he would dismiss us from the service. Worship you, Lord, we pray that you would just take tonight's information and all the concerns that each teacher here, each parent here, Lord, has in our hearts. We pray that we just be able to give it to you and know that you are sufficient and you will provide our needs and that you will help us to guide our children through the school system and uh, pray that you do with the legislature, Lord, and that uh, that pendulum would swing back and some of this stuff would be removed, Lord, but if not, that you would open opportunities for uh, uh, Christian schools and uh, different ways, Lord, to uh, educate our children, Lord, pray that you just be with this church and this body and help us to seek you no matter what we do, Lord, we just pray that you just bring it back and that kind of doors are open, we have to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.